If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Notice, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ. Don't be saying, oh, we're going to have to go get him, as the Jews might say back in verse 6. No, don't be waiting for Messiah. He came. Confess that. Messiah, the Lord, our righteousness is here. He came. And then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's nothing left to do. He conquered sin and death. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Believing and Confessing. And we invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 10, 10th chapter of Romans. Paul is dealing with uh, Israel and Israel's unbelief. But as always, the Scripture is written for our instruction, and God's dealings with Israel are designed to teach our hearts individually truth. And so as we come to His Word this morning, we want to uh, listen carefully. Now let me just, uh, by way of review, pick it up at verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them... Israel, unbelieving Israel, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. It's easy to have religious zeal and yet not be right with God. Millions of people today are zealous They would say, I'm zealous for God. But it's a zeal, it's an enthusiasm, it's a fanaticism. Because it's not tied to God's revelation of Himself. It's a zeal not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing, look at verse 3, about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. It was a zeal that didn't know about God's righteousness and hence sought to establish its own. They were willfully ignorant of God's righteousness, both as to His character and as to the righteousness provided in Christ. And hence they were busy seeking to establish their own righteousness. Their fundamental error was that they failed to see Christ, the righteousness of God. They failed to hear Christ. The voice came from heaven, you remember, and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. Jesus repeatedly said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. They failed to believe in Christ. Glance back and remember the clear explanation Paul gave at the last of chapter 9. What shall we say then? Verse 30. 
The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Millions still do. I mean religious people. I mean people sitting in churches. Assume that they can approach God by works, human achievement. As I said last time, there's really only two approaches to God. You either come through human achievement, telling God what you've done for Him, or you come as a broken sinner and you come the way of divine accomplishment. You come under the finished work of Christ. And religious people are oftentimes the ones who stumble the most at this principle because there is inbred in them a self-righteousness. Maybe you're sitting there saying, I've done this, I've done that, I've been religious. And you're stumbling over the issue of falling before Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and saying, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Verse 4 of our text. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When a man or a woman, a Jew or a Gentile, a boy or a girl really sees who Jesus Christ is, the chief cornerstone, the Lamb of God, God in the flesh. My sin was so awful that God had to come to this earth to die. When I really see that, I have done with all kind of law righteousness. I'll never again try to merit favor with God. I come as a sinner and I lay hold of Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Notice, look at verse 4, to everyone who believes. He's not the end of the law for righteousness to those who don't believe. There are the majority of people today still seeking God through law righteousness. It'll never work. It was never designed to work that way. But until you see Jesus Christ for who He really is, That's the natural man's inclination to seek to make himself right with God through merit. Paul has labored all the way through Romans to show us that it is by grace, unmerited favor. If it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. I'm quoting chapter 11, verse 6. I mean, he says that you can't mix the two. It's oil and water. If it's by grace, it's not by works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. There is nothing that you and I can do to merit favor with God. Christ, properly seen, properly heard, believed in, is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Then he contrasts, verses 5 through 8, he contrasts a legal righteousness with a by-faith righteousness. is not a new subject. He's been doing this throughout the book of Romans. But he contrasts a righteousness based on law and a righteousness based on faith. These same two uh, righteousness. One's a false righteousness and one's the true righteousness. One's man's righteousness, a self-righteousness, and one is the righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And he contrasts them, verses 5 through 8. Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks thus. 
Don't say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. Now, a legal righteousness, a righteousness based on law, knows nothing of completion. It knows nothing of a finished work. It says, verse 5, the one who practices these things, who does these things, shall live. He's quoting Leviticus 18.5, by the way, and he quotes it over in Galatians 3, uh, verse 12, where he says, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices these things shall live by them. If a man does and keeps, then he lives. That's the law mentality. And by the way, he must keep doing and keep doing perfectly because the Bible says whoever keeps the whole law, I mean, that rules me out. How about you? Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. James 2, verse 10. I give you the reference because oftentimes when I quote that to people personally, there's a look of you know, unbelief. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he's become guilty of all. I remember quoting that to a religionist one time and he said, that's not in the Bible. I said, well, it is. He said, that's not in the Bible. And he became hot. And he was a religious leader in a cult. And I said, well, it is. And he said, that's not in the Bible. I said, well. And so we turned to James 2 and he read it. And then he just pushed the Bible aside, literally. Just pushed it aside. And that's such a picture of what people do when it comes to this matter of law righteousness. Turn over to Galatians. Look where Paul quoted this uh, and gave a little more comment on it. No wonder, when you think about it, that the Scripture says, as many as are under the law are under a curse. No wonder that the Scripture says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight, Romans 3.20. But listen to uh, Galatians 3 in context where he cites this with a little bit more detail. As many as are the works of the law are under a curse, verse 10. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Note five things. The law is not of faith, verse 12. The law is not of faith. Secondly, the law is a curse. Verse 10. Third, verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. The law cannot justify. Can't do it. No one is justified. Fourth, look over at verse uh, 21. We don't have time to look at the whole chapter, but Paul really uh, gives some detail here over at verse 21, and I'll say this very clearly. The law wasn't given 
for life. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. Not only was the law not given to justify, it cannot impart life. The law was to point Israel and anybody else who listens to it to Christ. It was to point us to our own sinfulness and to point us to God's grace found in Christ. Look at verse 24 of this Galatians 3. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, God knows what's in our heart. And He knows that the law will show it forth. We don't know what's in our heart. Man deceives himself about what's in his heart. And I hear people say it regularly. Well... I know he's done something, but he's a good kid. He's a good kid. His heart is good. He got in with the wrong crowd. Well, who's the wrong crowd? Well, it's just other sinners. And to say that he's got a good heart, be careful what you say. No, no, our heart is exposed by the law. In fact, it's very good to let, uh, let the Bible tell us about the law because a law righteousness is so common, it's so prevalent, there's such a tendency. I find that most people who reject Christ, the first thing that they say as they talk about what they're clinging to is their own righteousness found in some sort of meritorious law-keeping of one sort or another. And, you know, some cling right to the Ten Commandments, but today it's pretty fashionable to just cling to a few of them or or whatever, but still cling to some sort of legal righteousness, some sort of law-attained salvation that's mythical, that the Scripture says no one attains to. Uh, listen to these. You might want to jot some, some of these references down, but I want us to just hear the testimony of the New Testament on this. Romans 3.20, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. 4.15 of Romans. The law brings about wrath. Chapter 7, verse 13. The law shows sin to be utterly sinful. 2 Corinthians 3.7. The law is described as a ministry of death, not life. Death. Chapter 3, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians. A ministry of condemnation. The straight edge of the law shows me how crooked my life really is. It exposes me for what I am. Hebrews 7.19, the law makes nothing perfect. I might add, it just shows forth the imperfections. You see, the law wasn't given to produce any kind of self-righteousness or self-hope. The law was given to produce self-despair. Self-despair. And you see, it wasn't that the law was sinful. Romans 7, you remember we saw, the law is holy and righteous and good. The law is spiritual, but I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. Verse 14 of chapter 7. It wasn't that the law was weak. The problem is the weakness of my flesh, your flesh. What the law could not do, chapter 8, verse 3. What the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh. God did. 
sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. Now, Paul has labored to explain this very thoroughly, individually, you might say, or to all mankind in Romans. Now he is wrestling with it one more time as he wrestles with Israel's stubborn unbelief and stubborn self-righteousness. You know, our Lord used the law exactly the same way, didn't he? Remember the, the young lawyer that came to him and uh, said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus said, well, you know the law. And uh, what does it say to you? And he said, well, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's a good answer. Do this and you shall live. And he quoted Leviticus 18.5, same one that Paul uses here. Do this and live. And the guy said, and we're told... The Bible gives insight into the man's heart. This is in Luke 10, that he came testing Jesus, okay? He put the question to him as a test. It wasn't an honest question. But then we also told that he came wishing to justify himself. So wishing to justify himself, when he heard this, you can almost watch the wheels turning because when there's a legal righteousness, it's, it's like, what do I have to do? What, are the, you know, what do I have to do to get out of this class? You ever taught a class where the kids say that? You know, it's always encouraging, you know. You, you're hoping to impart something. They say, what do we have to do to get out of this class? I mean, how many pages do we have to write? Twelve? Will you take eleven and a half? You know? And so when Jesus said, you know, that's a good answer. Love God and love your neighbors yourself. Well, but who's my neighbor? How many do I have to love anyway? You know? And that's when Jesus gave the great story of who your neighbor is. <laughs> And who proved to be a neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan. Or you remember over in Matthew 19 when the fellow came to Jesus and asked basically the same thing. And uh, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. And he gave them, he gave them the horizontal commandments. You know, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, honor your folks. He gave them the horizontal. He didn't mention the vertical ones, uh, the first few that are so crucial to understanding it. But Jesus just said, well, you know the commands. And, and the guy had the gall to say, well, I, I've done that. I've kept all those from my youth. So Jesus said, okay, uh, one more thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, and you're going to have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And you remember what the man did? We're told, and I looked it up in all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you just look at what happened. His face fell. He went away grieved. He was extremely sad. When Jesus just said, yeah, one more thing, turn loose of all your stuff and follow me. He said he fell, his face fell, he was very sad. Why? Because he was one, we're told, he was one who owned much property. He was extremely rich. We might turn that around. Much property owned him. But uh, Jesus, you see, used the law to get at the heart. And he'd expose the heart of man. And that's what the law does. Now, in contrast, in contrast to that, notice back in Romans 10 now, the righteousness of faith speaks thus, verse 6, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The righteousness of faith says this, 
Negatively, the work has been done. It's finished. Positively, believe it. Believe it. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 30 now. And in Deuteronomy 30, it's a great chapter of Israel's restoration when God's going to circumcise their heart and bring them back into relationship with him. And he says, listen, Moses has given you this commandment. You've got it. You don't have to go looking for more, he would say to the Jews of Moses' day. Just walk with God. Love God and walk with God. And Paul takes it here and applies it to the situation with Israel and unbelief in his day. And he says to the Israel of his day, the work is accomplished. Christ came and did that. Don't go looking for more. He has accomplished the work of salvation. Believe it. Don't be looking, verse 6, to say, well, who will ascend into heaven? Don't be looking for Messiah. He came. And don't be thinking you need to raise him from the dead. He arose. It is finished. Believe it. And the scripture says to us today, it is finished. The gospel is not something you have to attain and do. It's something that he did. And by the way, the gospel is not obscure or complicated either. Uh, just by way of application, there's going to be a lot of people... I was commenting to a friend just this week who witnesses a lot and uh, just uses lots of opportunities to tell people about Christ one way or another. And I said, boy, they're not going to have any excuse. And he looked at me. I said, you know what I'm saying? He said, yeah, I do. I, I hear you. There are a lot of people today who act as if, oh, it's so confusing. Listen, the word is near you. The word has been proclaimed it's in your mouth and in your heart if you just listen up. If you just take the minimum amount of effort to hear what the Bible says, you would hear that Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for all who believe. He said, it is finished. And he says, believe me, take me at my word on this. You say, well, what do you mean by this, this word of faith? Well, look at what he says there, verse 8. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. What is that? Well, he explains, and he gives this simple, clear text. Thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ right here at verse 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Here is the simple gospel. Here is the simple word of faith for Jew or Gentile alike. Notice, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ, don't be saying, oh, we're going to have to go get him, as the Jews might say back in verse 6. No, don't be waiting for Messiah. He came. Confess that. Messiah, the Lord, our righteousness is here. He came. And then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's nothing left to do. He conquered sin and death. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Believing and Confessing, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. For with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Don't miss that. So many people say, well, I believe that. And it's kind of a casual intellectual assent. He's not after that kind of belief. It is a heart belief. Believe in your heart. With the heart, man believes. It isn't just an intellectual assent. It involves the mind. It involves the emotions. It involves the will. It is a realization in the deepest core of your being that Jesus Christ died for you on your behalf. And it always leads to the tongue confessing. Jesus Christ as Lord. Join us again next time as we continue in our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Believing and Confessing. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.